The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. So exciting. We're going to school today. Before we, we jump into the, the message this morning, I just want to say um, thank you for those who have already started giving to the Legacy Project. Um, people took cards last week, um, and we've already had you know one person that we know of who's relatively new to our church already give his whole year and a half's worth of giving right up front. You know, so already we've got about ten grand in the account, which is amazing. You know, just awesome. I know of uh, some of our young ad- adults who are giving sacrificially, even as students and working part-time, they're taking cards and they're, they're being a part of it. I mean, it's just fantastic. So thank you uh, to those people who've already given up front and who are committed to giving. Uh, just excited to see what God's going to do in this. And just to be clear, 350000 is just a drop in the big bucket that we need. It's our first stage. You know, this is a marathon. This is our first sprint. That's the first finish line we're aiming for. Uh, we've got a long way to go, but it's exciting to be a part of God's work and to partner with Him in what He's doing. So we're just going to take it a day at a time. Awesome. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. And as we come around your word, will you open our hearts to receive what you have for us today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And let me start by asking you a question. Why are you here? Why are we here? And I don't mean at church today. I mean just generally in life. Why are we here? And if we can just sit with that question and think about that, I I think it will really help us think more about how God wants us to live. Sorry, you can't see the slides? Uh, Let me move this out of the way first. Um, This is going to be an interesting person. Can't see anything. I'll just move that out of the way. I'll just get this out of the way there. This is why we need a new building, so we can do both. I want you to think about that because if we understand what it means for God to keep us here, like you just think about this, right? If Once we became Christians, if we're going to spend forever with God, why, why do you just take us in that moment to go and be with Him in heaven? It's kind of done deal. Now, when we think about that, most of us would probably say because there's something we're supposed to do here. There's a work we're supposed to do. And I think we would all generally agree with that, that God wants us to be about something. Then the next question that flows out of that is, well, what is that work? What are we supposed to actually be doing here? And when we ask that question, you'll get a diversity of answers. Different people will have different ideas of what Christians and the church as a whole is meant to be about. What's the work we're supposed to be doing? And again, this is not a new thing. Church Christians throughout the, the history of the church have wrestled with this question and come up with different answers. And you can probably put them on a spectrum. On the one extreme, you would find people thinking about that part of that purpose is for us to withdraw from society, to disconnect, to disengage, to isolate ourselves. And you know, throughout church history, there's been church communes or Christian communes. Uh, the mystics withdrew into the desert. Uh, a whole bunch of people who've kind of think 
saying, we just need to remain faithful to Jesus. We just need to hold on to Jesus, to uh, persevere in difficult times and wait for Jesus to come back. That's one extreme. And then over in the other extreme, you you have this idea of domination or of kind of uh, uh, colonization, where this idea that Christians are meant to take over the world, where we're meant to make the world Christian. Uh, somehow this idea of conquest, that you know, the whole world ought to be like we are, that kind of idea. And so you've seen throughout church history, uh, Christian political parties, the Puritans in England, uh, in, in different periods of history, this idea that the world ought to be Christian and it's the church's responsibility to make the world Christian. Somewhere in the middle, you'll probably kind of peg yourself. So this morning we're launching a new series where we're going to try and engage with that question. Think about that question. How do we live as kingdom citizens? We've been talking a lot about kingdom. Um, And I want to kind of build on what Dash was talking about last Sunday into this whole month. Thinking about how do we live our lives as kingdom citizens? What are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to do uh, with God's call on us as the church? And so over these next four weeks, we're going to look at different ways that I believe the church can relate to our culture. How do we relate to our culture in effective ways? And that's kind of the question we're going to be sitting around and working through. And so, uh, look, uh, this morning as I launch this, it's going to be kind of big picture ideas. And uh, this message will probably be controversial in the sense that you might not agree with everything I say, and that's okay. Because you might have a different idea of what Christians ought to be about or what the church ought to be about than, than I do. Um, but I hope that I can make my case today and give you evidence to support my position on what I think we're supposed to be about. And I hope that you can engage with these ideas and think more about them. And I won't be able to cover everything. And hopefully at Connect Group we can explore and discuss a few more things around some of these stuff and make it a more meaningful experience for us. But we're going to kind of head down this direction. And I want to suggest to you that the answer to that question is how are we as the church meant to engage with our culture, a non-Christian culture, particularly in the West that's postmodern post-Christian, post-biblical. Let's just get rid of the illusion that Australia is a Christian country. If you still hold on to that, I, I, I think you need to read more um, and kind of just you know, get your head out of that space. Um, how, do we, how do we relate to that culture? And the best word I think that summarizes that is the word engage. Um, I think that's really what we're called to do and be as the church, to engage. And I'll unpack a little bit more as to what that looks like and what that means for us. And I guess in terms of the Bible, uh, the Bible gives us a really helpful metaphor um, that I think uh, will help us understand what this word engage means. It's the word ambassador. So my message this morning is entitled Ambassador. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 5. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. And we're going to read this passage. I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this passage. I want to just highlight some of the key thoughts that Paul outlines here. And then spend more time unpacking it practically. And talking about what I think being an ambassador looks like in our context. Verse 11 says this. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Now, right there is, I guess, our mandate. Let's not be under any illusions that what God wants us to do is about persuading other people. Um, So that's an important thing to to keep in mind. That's our gospel mandate. Um, To persuade others, what, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is 
uh, in the heart. Now, Paul is here addressing a lot of people think some of the criticism that he's been uh, attacked uh, with in this church about his ministry and his mission. Uh, again, this picks up on some of the things that the false teachers were saying about Paul's ministry. And so he's defending himself. Verse 13, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So just a few quick observations from this text. Firstly, I already mentioned our mandate is to persuade people. Paul makes that very, very clear. Our motivation is the love of Jesus. He says Christ's love, verse 14, compels us. Verse 15, he says Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live selfish lives for ourselves. We're meant to be driven outward in terms of living for him who died for us and, and, and living this life of other-centeredness. That's our motivation, Christ's love. And then he goes on to, to say in, in verse 16 what our mission is. And this mission is to be agents of reconciliation. We're putting it very, very simply. That's what Paul says here. That we have been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. That God is at work in us and through us reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's what God is about. That's what God wants to do in the world through the church, to reconcile the world to himself in Christ. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's our mission. That's what we're supposed to be about. And then he goes on to talk about, I guess, uh, the, the mindset that we ought to have. And he says, listen to this, we implore you on, on Christ's behalf. There's no domination, there's no enforcing, there's no demanding. It's an appeal. And he, he makes that very, very clear. We, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And he says, it, it's as though God is making his appeal through us. That's our mindset. This understanding that God eagerly desires and longs for people to know him and to be reconciled to him. That ought to be how we think about our mission. This appeal. And lastly, he reminds us what the message is. The central message of Christianity. The central, the central message of the church is this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our message. The gospel. It's Jesus. It's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's his appeal. So then the question that comes out of that is, well, how do we live as Christ's ambassadors? What does it mean for us to carry that mission or that role in our world? Well, to answer that question, we need to understand, I guess, what an ambassador does. 
So let's go there. And so I got this from a website that, you know, I was talking about job descriptions and talking about the job description. If you wanted to be an ambassador, this is kind of in a nutshell what, what that, um, uh, that role entails. And it says this, all ambassadors, so this is from the U.S. point of view, obviously, uh, officially represent the U.S. government on behalf of the president in treaty negotiations, immigration discussions, foreign aid projects, and humanitarian, humanitarian aid programs. Ambassadors supervise and lead all foreign service employees in the country where they work. As the chief executive of the U.S. Embassy, an ambassador also monitors the activities of who? All U.S. personnel who work for any federal agency in their jurisdiction. The ambassador and her staff also aid Americans traveling in the country and provide security for U.S. citizens during emergencies and natural disasters. That, that, that's great. Now, start thinking about what that would look like for us as Christ's ambassadors. What would that look like? Well, let, let me give you some things that hopefully you can go and think about. And maybe there's other things and other parallels that you can identify. I think the first thing it would mean is that we're supposed to represent King Jesus. All right? Ambassadors, that's their role. They, they represent their president, they represent their country, whatever. It's a representative role. And so if that's true, then we need to represent our king's agenda, not our own. We need to represent our king's interests, our king's priorities, our king's values, and our king's teaching. We need to represent him in his fullness. We need to represent his heart, appeal, represent him. Now, what no ambassador would do is to enforce their laws on the laws of their host country. You don't see Americans in Iraq saying, well, you Iraqis, you need to do what us Americans do. So I just want to put this out there. I told you it's going to be interesting for us to think about, controversial. As I understand it, I could be wrong here, and maybe you can come back to me. I don't see any biblical precedent where the Bible is about reforming moral behavior in its culture. What I see in the Bible is this idea where God says, taste and see, come and have a look. And you see that in the Psalms, right? It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You read Deuteronomy 4, and this is in the early period when the children of Israel, are, before they even get, get into the promised land, and, and God's about to give all the laws. And you know what he says there? That passage is so fascinating. He says, you know why I'm giving you these laws? So that the nations around you can see how great you are as a people under my rule, under my laws, and they'll want to be a part of it. It's taste and see. When we come to Acts 2, at the very beginning of church history, and the church has just experienced Pentecost, just formed, that, that chapter ends with a statement about what the early church was about. And it describes all the things that they were doing, committed to the apostles' teaching, gathering together for breaking bread, and all of those amazing things. And the last statement, it says, that the Lord added to their number daily. It's taste and see. And I see Jesus doing the same thing. When he's engaging with people who are far from God, he's not trying to reform their moral behavior. He's there loving them and saying, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the kingdom is different. The kingdom of God is among you. It's in you. Don't you want to be a part of this incredible... That's what ambassadors are meant to do. They're meant to so represent their, their king, their president, their nation in a favorable way that everyone says, man, I want to immigrate. I, I want to go to that country. That country sounds awesome. That country sounds amazing compared to how we're living. They have it going on over there. 
Ambassadors represent the king. It's the first thing. The second thing uh, I want to suggest that if you're going to be an ambassador for Christ, like a political ambassador, you need to have the right conversations. The right conversations. Now, what I mean is that the ambassadors were often in, in lots of different meetings, lots of different types of things that they're involved with, but they know clearly who they're with and what the agenda is and where their responsibilities lie in that meeting. Having the right conversations is critical. And this is where we, we, we get the board out. Thanks, Jeff. Um, there was a guy, I don't know, actually I should have looked up his first name, but his last name is Engel. And he came up with a scale called the Engel scale. And it's a scale that helps people know or understand the process of salvation. And so, I mean, this is a very rough diagram. There's a lot more involved than that. But essentially, he said that on one extreme are people who are far from God, disinterested, not even aware that there is a God, you know, not even aware of the Bible. They don't even, and if they did, they wouldn't believe it. They've never heard the name Jesus. People are far from God. Then here are people who've heard something. They've engaged with Christians. They've heard about the church. They, they've maybe encountered the Bible in different ways, but they're interested. And then over here is that point where they make a decision to follow Christ. And then over here, they're, they're growing and they're, they're developing and they're maturing in their faith. And over there is where they're mature Christians who are now on mission and ambassadors for the cause of Christ. So that's roughly the process. And I think part of the problem we have is that we want to have these conversations that happen over here, over here. I don't see any ambassador doing that. I'm just putting it out there. I don't even see Jesus doing that, right? When, when you see Jesus here, he's just loving people. He's not telling them how they need to live. He's just saying, hey, taste and see that the kingdom is good. And then when he gets here, he starts having different conversations. This is to the crowd that's kind of in the party and they're following him. They've loved the miracles. He's fed them. Things are good. Raised the dead, lepers. All that cool stuff's happening from here, and they've shifted. And they're, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? He's different. What's he on about? Then he starts talking about, man, you need to take up your cross. You need to leave. You hate your father, your mother. And he's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Different conversation. It's like, is it the same Jesus? Yeah, same Jesus. And then you start getting to hear, oh, turn up the heat. Jesus is like, you know, now let, let's get serious here. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, all that kind of stuff about dying. Nobody wants to hear that kind of stuff. And, you know, he's talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood. All of these people are head for the hills. They're like, whoa, too much. And then you get to hear. That's where, you know, Sermon on the Mount. Like, okay, you want to be a kingdom person? You want to follow me? This is how you need to live. Behavior modification starts here. So you, you want to understand what it means to live a kingdom. You, you love what the kingdom is about, but living, I want to change your heart. I want to reorient your heart so you can live in the fullness of kingdom life. And so he begins a lot more instruction, a lot more teaching here. And then here, that's when we get to the correct and rebuke stage. Right? Jesus' harshest words were directed at who? The religious elite who'd lost sight of this. That's who Jesus spoke the strongest to, called them a brood of vipers. He doesn't call these people that, but sometimes Christians make these people feel like a brood of vipers. Just saying. This is where that happens. This is where Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Not to these people. 
This is where he, he rebukes people saying, well, you of unbelief, you of little faith. How long have I been with you and you don't get this? Come on. Come on, grow up, mature. I'm not going to be here forever. You guys need to get this because you need to take this message to the nations. You've got to get this. Those conversations are happening here. So I want to suggest to you that he, Jesus, is all about loving. And I'm not going to write it. It's going to take me too long. But it's going to be up on a slide and you can photocopy it. If, take a photo of it you want. About loving. And here, Jesus moves towards kind of invitation. Invitation. Come and see. Come and see. And then we're, when we're going here, it, it starts to get more challenging. And Jesus focuses on challenging people by counting the cost and, you know, like really laying down everything to follow him. Over here is where we begin to see instruction and teaching. And over here is when we start seeing correction and rebuke. Because here, Jesus is wanting to build bridges. He's wanting to build bridges with people. He's wanting them to see what the kingdom is all about. Over here, he wants them to belong. He wants to understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Over here, he's wanting them to understand what it means to believe in the good news of the kingdom. His teachings and his, his way of life. That's the process. Building bridges, belonging, believing, and then behaving. Then behaving. So have the right conversations. Know who you're with. If you're with people who are far from God and you're trying to impose a biblical worldview, you, you, you're going to not be talking the same conversation. If an ambassador is in a meeting and they're trying to argue for something that the people there have no idea about, it's just going to be a waste of time. Have intelligent conversations. Have the right conversation. The third thing that an ambassador would do, have a consistent kingdom ethic. A consistent kingdom. If I asked you, what is America's position on terrorism? We don't negotiate, even though... They do a lot of negotiating. But the officially stated position is we don't negotiate with terrorists, right? That's, that's what they say. Every single ambassador would know that. And it's consistent, supposedly. Plenty of movies say, no, it's not. But here's the problem. When we as Christ ambassadors are not consistent, that's when people feel we're judgmental. That's when people feel we're hypocritical. We can't be about sexual purity and excuse sexual abuse in the church. Just makes no sense. We we can't say we value marriage and never come to a marriage seminar. That's bogus. It's, I told you this is going to get hot in here. All right. We we can't champion sexual purity and have a porn addiction. It's inconsistent. Those sexual ethics are inconsistent. We can't get up on our high horse and bang a drum about abortion if we're not doing anything for single mums. We've got to think differently. We've got to have, like, if the kingdom is about unborn children and women, then we've got to do the hard work of going, how do we represent our king in this debate faithfully? Have a consistent kingdom ethic. And the last one is engage intelligently. Engage intelligently. You know, ambassadors have teams of people that do research for them before they ever go into a meeting. <laughs> So they know what they're walking into. They know the policies. They know the debates. They know the issues. They know where there's a conflict of interest between their host country and the country that they're, rep they're in uh, representing. They, they know 
you know, what they're allowed to offer and what they're not allowed to offer. They, they know their stuff. Often, as Christians, we do our king disservice because we speak before we've thought. And we, we just haven't done the work. And so I want to suggest to you that to, to engage intelligently, firstly, have the, have the right to speak. Earn the right to speak. And that happens because of your character. And that happens because you have relationship. You know, so often, and again, look, I'm not making a, a mandated statement about this. So many of us engage with debate on Facebook. I just, I just want to suggest to you that is not good ambassador behavior. Because you haven't earned the right. There's no relationship. There's no context. They're just posting words that then everyone just slams. I don't know how effective that is. But, you know, you might have a different opinion of that. But just think about that. Earn the right to speak. Because people know your character. Because people know you. There's a context of relationship. The, the second thing I want to suggest to you, if you want to, I've forgotten. Find common ground. Find common ground. You know, the, the, the God speaks as much about justice as he does about sexual purity. Right? Sometimes we want to choose one over the other. We, we all have our pet top, hot topics, right? We, we want to get on a soapbox about something, but we, then other things we don't really care so much about. Find common ground with our culture. Go, that's important to you. That's important to us too. So let's do something about that together. That's what ambassadors do. Go, how can the, your interests and our interests line up so we can do something together? And if we understand the, the broadness of God's kingdom ethics, we should be able to find common ground and build bridges around that. The third thing I want to say to you is be informed. And I've already kind of alluded to this. Rarely is a debate as simple as you think it is. Rarely. Rarely is it as black and white as, as we think it is. Uh, you know, like at the moment, environment is trending big time, particularly among the young people. Revolutions are happening all over the place. Protests are happening all over the place. But one of the things that they don't realize is the implications of change that needs to come into their life if, the, if their arguments were actually taken seriously. They'd be walking everywhere to start with. How many of you drive your young people everywhere? You know what I mean? And if we all went solar and clean energy, all our electricity bills would just, energy bills would just go through the roof and they have to miss out on doing all the things that they want to do because you will have no money. And I, I, I really admire politicians who have to wrestle with these tensions of going, yeah, that's really good, but that's really good too. Now, how do we do that without compromising this? That's really hard. But sometimes we get on our soapbox and go, yeah, no, it's not. Just make a simple decision. Everything is black and everything is white. And if you just made this change and you just change this law, everything will be okay. Life is not that simple. And don't come across like it is when you open your mouth and just show your ignorance. Because Jesus wrestles with tensions all the time. And I think we ought to respect our culture and do the same. Be informed. Read up. If you've got a particular topic that you're passionate about and God puts his heart and his passion in, into different people in a different way, don't judge other people because they don't share your same conviction and passion. Recognize that God's given you something that, that's great. Well, run with that. Invest into it. Be informed. Be, be into it and go, okay, what are the nuances and what are the complexities of this debate? It's not just as simple as don't change the law. But if you're going to change the law, think about these other things, which are also important to kingdom people. 
that's a better discussion. That's a nuanced discussion. That's an intelligent discussion. That's an, a, a discussion that's willing to kind of recognize, yes, this is complex. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there are no easy solutions. In a broken, fallen world, there is no perfect solution. That's why you need Jesus. That's a better conversation. But in the meantime, while we wait for him to come and restore his kingdom, make everything right, let's deal with the mess and try and make it less messy. Be informed. And lastly, this is probably the most challenging, focus on solutions. So often we bang our drum because we tell everyone what the problem is, but we don't do anything to fix it. Ambassadors don't do that. They sit down and they smash it out, smash it out, smash it out. But the end game, the end goal is to go, how can we fix this? How can we make it better? How can we invest our resources and contribute and partner with you to make your culture, your situation, your problem better? Let's negotiate. Let's compromise. Let's work out a win-win so that we get something out of it and you get something out of it and you can use our resources to make your culture better. That's the process. Again, you know, as Christians, as the church, we need to get better and better and better at not just saying, here's the problem and this is what we can do with you to be a part of the solution. And so rather than just going on about changing the anti-abortion law, we need to start saying things like, and we're willing to foster kids. And, and we're willing to support single moms who are considering aborting their babies because they have no resources. We're willing to represent you know, women who are being abused and pressured by their husbands to have an unwanted child. We're, we're willing to do that stuff to be a part of the solution. And we're willing to sacrifice and we're willing to give our resources to make it better for everyone. That's a better conversation. And people will listen when we start talking that way. I want to finish with an illustration for all you Marvel fans. Do you recognize this picture? It's Wakanda. I think Wakanda is a great way for us to think about what it means to be an ambassador. You know how the, when they, the movie begins, Black Panther begins, they're, they're, they're hidden. They're in isolation, heavily guarded and protected. They don't want anyone coming in and anyone going. It's like top secret. Nobody even knows that they exist. That's been the church's story for a long time. But throughout the course of the movie, they come out, as it were. They disclose themselves to the world and say, we exist. But you know what they don't do? They have the advancements and the technology to take over the world. They do. To change everything. But they don't. You know what they do do at the end of the movie? They say, look, this is what we have to offer you. Are you interested? We want to make the world better. How can we help? That's the heart of the gospel. And as we think about engaging with people who are far from God, far left, that's what I see Jesus doing. The kingdom of God is here. It's in me. And the life you have and you can find in me will be better than anything you know in this broken world. Do you want it? Taste and see what it's like. And then maybe you decide. And then we can talk about how you can walk that out. And as ambassadors of that king, we need to represent his heart more than what we think it is. And his heart more than anything else is for people to know him. To know him. And so I challenge us as a church, I challenge us individually to be ambassadors for Christ who are compelled by his love, who are changed in our mindset and who are living lives that will draw others who are far from God to consider what this kingdom is like. Let's pray.
why don't you just take a moment to sit in silence and just reflect on Jesus and his rule and his kingship and how we can reflect that better in our world and our culture. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Thank you, God. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to sing just the chorus of what a beautiful name. Just quietly and let the Holy Spirit just impress on you the truth of that. The name of Jesus is a beautiful name. That's the only name that offers hope to broken and lost people. It's the only name that's a refuge and a strong tower and a shelter for us as we live in this broken world. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.